Okay, take your Bibles this morning and turn back to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. This will be the third message in this series entitled, Not by Works of Righteousness. This will be part three. Not by Works of Righteousness. It's amazing, you know, how filled God's Word is with truth if we just take the time to sit down prayerfully contemplate it because I tell you, every word of it is important to us. And I know we read it in English, and I'm not a Greek or Hebrew scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but I do take the time, most of the time, to look at great detail into these things that, that I seek to preach to you every Sunday. But one of the things, as I, as I thought about where we're at today, because we had made it down through the first two parts of, of verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. That's how far we got. And we're going to deal with just these words, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. My plans was to get down through verse 8. It didn't work out that way. But when the writer of Hebrews wrote the Hebrew letter, he wrote these words, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, and today, and forever. You hear that? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, whatever he is, whatever he will be, is the same exact thing that he has always been, unchanged by any or all of it. But now listen to these next words. Be not carried about, this is to believers, be not carried about by diverse and strange doctrines. Believers. Isn't that amazing? Has to warn and admonish justified saints, those who at least mentally claimed or outwardly professed that they've rested in Christ as the Lord their righteousness. Don't be carried about by different strange doctrines. For it is a good thing. Now listen, it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. What? That we have confidence. We have a sure and certain knowledge. Not with meats, things of time and sense, which have not profited them that are occupied thereby. Let me read it to you. Here's a literal translation of verse 9. With teachings manifold and strange, be not carried away. For it is a good thing that by grace the heart be confirmed. See that? It is the Lord's will that all his children, what should, and when we talk about heart, we're not talking about, I keep pointing down here, we're talking about our mind, our will, and our understanding, that we have confirmation as to who and what we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote to those in the book of Ephesians, for by grace, you hear this, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. What faith not of yourself? It's the gift of God. And this confirms the same thing that we saw at the first part of this verse. Not of works. Not by works of righteousness which we've done. Salvation has nothing to do with our works at any time, in any way, to any degree, lest any man should boast. Word translated grace in both these passages in the the one from Hebrews, that your heart be established with grace. And in verse 
8 of Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved. It's the same exact Greek word, and it means the same thing. It means goodwill, loving kindness, favor, or here's the best translation or definition of it, are the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ. Huh? That's what the grace of God is. It's not us coming to him. It's him bringing us to himself. And isn't it exactly what we saw in these, these verses that we've been looking at? It? But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He what? He saved us. The Lord God of glory didn't make an attempt to save us. Nor did he merely come, live, suffer, bleed, and die and hope that sinners would somehow believe on him, making him their Lord and Savior. Here's the gospel truth. He saved us. And I tell you, this truth that he saved us according to his mercy, this truth heard, known, is revealed by God the Holy Spirit, and believed in by true God-given faith, it is absolutely essential to those sinners that are his by divine election. Jehovah did all of it, how? According to his mercy. Mr. John Gill in his commentary stressed his mercy. He said the mercy of God is natural and essential to him. But the actings and exercises of that mercy toward this or the other objects are sovereign and free and according to his own will. I said this in the Sunday Bible class hour. I'll say it again because it's so important. Nothing outside of God Move the one true and living God to show mercy to those who justly deserve eternal condemnation. Listen to the 24 elders. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure. <laughs> created all things, and for thy pleasure. They are and were created. It had nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with him. The true and living God, our God, according to his sovereign will and purpose, determined to glorify and honor himself to every object of his love, declaring to the, his servant Moses and to you and me through those words to him, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. That's the God of this book. And that's the God of all grace. And that brings us to where we left off last week. But after that, the kindness of love of God, our Savior toward man appeared not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. And here's what I want to deal with this morning. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. By these words, God the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, is revealed as the one who applies to every elect sinner in time 
what God the Father purposed and foreordained for those he chose in Christ's their surety, and what God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, actually accomplished in time by his obedience unto death. Now, let me say this to begin with. I don't think we've got anybody in our group or anybody that listens to us that thinks somehow or another that water baptism has anything to do with the salvation of a sinner. But some in different religions, they think by this statement to wash in the regeneration that they think it's talking about what? Water baptism. Declaring that by going down into the baptismal pool, what happens? You get your sins washed away. No baptism, no sins washing away. But here's the thing, and I, I spent some time looking this week. You know, nowhere in the Scriptures, not any place in the Scriptures, is water baptism ever spoken of as a washing. Not one time. You look it up for yourself. So if it's not talking about water baptism, what's he talking about here when he talks about that he saved us by the washing of regeneration? Well, if you look up the original words, that word translated in the washing means to bathe. Well, listen to this and think about what we are by nature. To bathe or wash a dead person. To bathe or wash a dead person. What are we by nature? Dead. Dead in trespasses and sins. Alienated from God in our minds. Enemies in our minds by wicked word. Christ used the same word. And he used it. Remember, remember when he was, uh, was around the table there toward the end of his ministry, when he was about to go to the cross and he gathered all his disciples together and they were seated at a table and he disrobed and wrapped a towel around himself and grabbed, grabbed a basin of water and began to wash the apostles' feet and he got to Peter and Peter said, Far be it from me, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. And our Lord Jesus Christ looked at Peter, Peter and he said, Jesus saith unto him, he, here's the same word translated washing. He that is washed. Not he that I wash, he that is washed. Needeth not save to wash his feet. But then he said this, but is clean. The one that's washed is clean every bit, every whit, totally through and through. And you are clean, but not all. Who's the not all? Judas is carried. There were 12 apostles there. One of them was a reprobate. We know him to be so. But here's what I find so interesting. Now, that word translated, uh, he that is clean, or he, you know, he that is washed, is to bathe a dead person. But the word translated clean, listen to this, it means blameless. It means innocent. It, listen to this, it means unstained from the guilt of anything. He that is washed needeth not saved to wash his feet. That's our walk because what do we do? We walk in his present world. But is clean, innocent, free from the guilt of anything. Whatever this washing is, you think about this. Our Lord Jesus Christ told Peter that him... And those other apostles, excluding Judas Iscariot, they were washed, they were bathed, and they were clean. They were blameless. 
They were innocent. They were unstained from the guilt of sin before. That's so important because he hadn't washed Peter's feet yet before he ever washed their feet already. So you know what that shows me? That shows me water baptism plays no bearing in any sinner's salvation because before we ever go into the baptismal pool, what are we already? We're forgiven. We're justified. We're sanctified. We're made the righteousness of God in Him. Now with that in mind, think about what Paul means by these words, the washing of regeneration. The word translated of regeneration means new birth. It means reproduction. It means renewal. It means recreation. The statement is speaking of the regenerating grace or being born of water, like our Lord told Nicodemus, and being born of the Spirit. He told Nicodemus two times, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. This grace of the Spirit, this washing of regeneration, it's compared, what's it compared to? It's compared to water. Because in, for the most part, what is water? It's pure. And it has a cleansing quality to it. And he, all those born of God being regenerated and sanctified are declared to be washed and cleansed, having their hearts purified by faith and their conscience purged from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's washing the regeneration. It's not a joint effort between the spirit and the sinner, but an entirely sovereign, omnipotent work of God the Holy Spirit. Listen to you. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. Everybody says, see, there it is. You have to believe on his name. But listen to the context. Which were born. Not because they believe on their name, not who will be born. He's given us why they believe, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. How were they born? They were born of God. They were generated by God the Holy Spirit. I tell you, people say, well, there's no miracles today. I'll tell you what, you know the greatest of all miracles it was when God the Holy Spirit makes those who are by nature dead in trespasses and sin to live spiritually based on the righteousness the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished by his obedience unto death. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, not in order to become son, but because you are son, God hath sent forth his spirit. He sent, not only just his spirit, listen to how he said, he hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. And because that spirit is sent into our hearts, what do we do? Cry, Abba, Father. Which that brings us to this next statement, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Young's literal translation of this verse states it like this, a renewing, a renewing of the Holy Spirit. While the words by the washing of regeneration speak of the Spirit's work in the new birth, 
which is entirely the work of God, these words, the renewing of the Holy Spirit, speak of conversion, which is the immediate result of the fruit and effect of God the Holy Spirit's work in the elect sinner under the preaching of the good news that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Paul told those at Rome, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now listen to this. The spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are. What are we? We are the children of God. And if he bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God, what does it mean? It? And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together with him. Formerly, think about this, we were enemies. <clears throat> we were enemies in our mind by wicked works. Formerly. We were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But now, through the regenerating work of God the Holy Spirit, his work of revealing Christ in us, the hope of glory, the elect, redeemed, justified, regenerated sinner, what do they do? They cry out to, and they look exclusively and only to Christ Jesus as their righteousness and their only hope of salvation. And see, this renewing of the Holy Ghost is what enables the redeemed, justified, and regenerated sinner to call Christ their Lord. Paul told those at Corinth, you and me included, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Christ accursed. And that no man, now listen to this, that no man can say that Jesus is Lord but how? By the Holy Spirit. He said this to those at Rome, But God be thanked, you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. And I told them this in a Sunday Bible class. In the King James Version, it says, From that form you were delivered, obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you literally translated is from the heart, that form of doctrine by which you have been delivered. Delivered where? Delivered to God is what we've been, by the, the doctrine preached. Being then, when we believe that form of doctrine it was by which we are delivered, Christ in us, the hope of glory, his obedience unto death, what do we do? You became servants of righteousness. You say, boy, preacher, you have muddied the water here. Well, let me see if I can give you some scriptural examples and try to clear up anything. I always, I, I think one of the, my favorite series that I ever preached was when I preached through the Song of Solomon. And I think one of my favorite messages that I ever got to preach dealt with Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 4, where a wise Solomon, the wisest man outside of our Lord Jesus Christ, wrote these words, Draw me. We will run after you. The king hath brought me into his chamber. You see, he brought me into the chamber. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Now, listen to me. The draw me, draw me, you know what that's speaking about? 
That's speaking about the washing of regeneration. And the result we will run after thee is the renewing of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. That Hebrew word, and I know religious people hate this, that Hebrew word, draw me, the word draw, you know what it means? It means drag. It means seize. How does God draw his people to himself? How does he do that? No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. And I'll raise him up at the last day. That word draw there, you know what it means? And it's a Greek word, but you know what it means? It means drag. <laughs> it means to exercise energy to drag. In other words, God, God, God makes his people willing in the day of his power. Psalm 110, verse 3. John Gill wrote this concerning this renewing of the Holy Spirit. He said, in the conversion of sinners, and I think this is so clear, in the conversion of sinners... God enlightens the mind, he inclines the will, he influences the soul by just views of his law, just views of his love, just views of his commands, just views of his threatenings, by a desire of happiness and a consciousness of, consciousness of danger, by the Holy Spirit applying truth to the mind and urging him to yield himself to the Savior. So that while God inclines him and will have all the glory, man yields without compulsion. The obstacles are all removed. And thank God for this. He becomes a willing servant of God. Willingly. Two illustrations. The first one is the thief on the cross. Turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 27. I want you to see this. Matthew 27. This is one of those uh-oh moments that I had years after the fact. We were all taught that one of those thieves on the cross was a better thief than another thief. <laughs> had to be because one of them came to Jesus and one of them didn't. I don't remember them teaching me this in vacation Bible school or any of the old Sunday schools I was in, and I never saw any pictures of, that illustrated what I'm fixing to read to you. Look down at verse 41. Matthew 27, verse 41. I'll, we'll back up read verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, reviled our Lord, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyed the te destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also, now that's just the people, the wanderers by, are mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that goes over into the religious folks. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and fair elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down off the cross and we'll believe on him. He did come down off the cross and you know what they didn't do? They didn't believe on him because no man could come to me except the Father which has sent me drawing. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him for he said, I am the Son of God. Now notice verse 44. 
and the thieves. And the thieves. How many? Both of them. The thieves also which were crucified with him, what did they do? Now you think about it. They're hanging up there dying. They're casting in our Lord's teeth. You saved others, save us. Get us down off this tree. Listen to this. This is the same story recorded by Luke. This is Luke chapter 27. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. Moment before, what was he doing? He was cast at our Lord's teeth. And now all of a sudden, what does he do? He admits, look, you and I are getting exactly what we deserve. This person, what is he? He's guiltless. What's that? That's the washing of regeneration. But now notice this. Here's the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And I thought about that a lot. To, to the outward eyes and mind and understanding, what kind of kingdom could this person hanging on a tree, beat beyond recognition, nails in his hands and his feet, a spear thrust into his side, what kind of kingdom could anybody possibly assume that this guy is going to rule over? Does he think somehow or another he's going to miraculously come down over here and he's going to reestablish national Israel and make them into some great powerful kingdom and he's going to be the king that rules over? Is that the kind of kingdom? Remember me when you take over as the son of David. Is that what he's talking about? No, what's he say? He sees a kingdom which cannot be moved. Couldn't see it before. Remember, remember that story where Elijah and that, that servant of his, they were up in the mountain. And they were worried to death that Ahab's armies was going to get him all, you know, kill them all. And, and Elijah asked the Lord, he said, you know, we've got no help. The young servant, what are we going to do? They're going to kill us all. And the Lord said, open his He prayed to the Lord, open his eyes that he could see. And when he opened his eyes, what did he see in the mountains? Chariots of fire everywhere protecting them. They were always there. He just didn't have the eyes to see it. It's the same way, same person hanging here, same kingdom, right? One can't see the kingdom. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot do what? Enter into the kingdom of God. Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. What did our Lord's next words to him say? This day, this day, You'll be with me in paradise. And what he told the Corinthians, no man can say Jesus is Lord but one way, by the Holy Spirit. Here's the second one, the Apostle Paul. 
Saul of Tarsus. Listen to it. And Saul, let this sink into your head, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any that it was of this way, whether they were men or whether they were women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus hated the true and living God. He hated Christ. He hated Christ's people. And listen to me, he could not and he would not come to the Lord. But then, now he's got that letter. He climbed up on that horse. He's headed down to Damascus. But then, who met him in the way? And who knocked him off the horse? Who regenerated and converted him by his Holy Spirit? And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Christ said, What I am the light of the world. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He wasn't persecuting Christ personally. Who was he persecuting? Christ's people. And he said, You touch them, what have you done? Touch the apple of my eye, you've touched me. And Saul said, now listen, here we go. Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the goads. That's regeneration. That's God working in this man's heart by his Holy Spirit. Again, this is a miracle of God's grace giving spiritual life to a sinner that's dead and trespasses and sin. How'd Paul respond to that? And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now he's going to kill everybody that way. He'd already killed Stephen, participated in it. And he'd do the same to all, men or women, made no, made no exception. What wilt thou have me do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into a city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. You see that? They had no eyes to see, no ears to hear. Saul, Saul. How? By the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And Saul, what did he do? Uh, let me think about this a while. I still got this letter in my hand. No, it says he arose from the earth. He arose from the earth. And when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. I don't know about you, but can't you see the fulfillment of Solomon's words? Why Solomon's word, draw me and we will run after thee. I wrote this into my notes. God the Holy Spirit... He draws or he drags or he seizes each and every member of Christ's mystical body individually. Individually, one at a time. But you know what? All of them. That's why he changed it. Draw me and what? We. We will run after thee. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying all those that God the Father draws individually, what do each and every one of them do? 
they run after him. They run after him. How do I know? We love him. And we do. Not perfectly. And we see so many flaws in our love to God. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. In closing, I can't help but think of one other example. That man, you think about it, had been blind all his life, from his childhood up. And our Lord restored his sight. And I'm going to tell you, they, even the Jews admitted that nobody can restore sight, cause something that's dead to be able to see again except God, right? God's got to give life. God has to sustain life. And after, you know, the long, you can go read the whole discourse there in John chapter 9. We've preached on it in the past, but think about this. Now, draw me and we will run after thee. He answered and said to these people, they're saying, how'd you get healed? How'd you receive your sight? They said, we know this man, what is he? He's a sinner. And he's already correct him. He said, we know that God hears not sinners' prayers. Right? And they said, would you make us be his, you want us to be his disciple? And he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or not, I, I know not. One thing I know, one thing I know, that whereas, whereas I was blind, I was blind. So what is he now doing? He's seeing. How did that sight get restored? God did it. That's the washing of regeneration. Now what do I do? Now I see. What's that? That's the renewing of the Holy Spirit. I hope and I pray by God's grace that we can all see that. We'll come back next week and we'll look at what I think sums this whole study up. The, 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 the work, because we've seen the work of the Father, we've seen the work of the Spirit. But what guarantees the entirety of it all? Huh? The work of God the Son. His blood, His righteousness is only ground, hope, and cause of salvation for all those that Jehovah purposed to save. Let's stand together. We dismiss. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you next time. But if you would, dismiss us, please.